Welcome in to another edition of the Home Run Throwback Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Morris. Uh, we have a, a special edition tonight, uh, kind of a last-minute curveball that we got. So uh, i got a couple of Broadway sports media guys joining me. I'm really excited about that. So we'll get into that here in a second. Before we do that, just remind you, Broadway sports media is where you can find all of our stuff. Um, go check that out. we got a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, so you, you, if you sign up for membership, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. We've already had multiple interviews with different Titans breaking down tape uh, with Justin Mello, one of the guys that's going to be on with us tonight. So um, really excited about that. Um, all right. So with that being said, we will bring in our guest. First, we have the aforementioned Justin Mello at Justin M underscore NFL, uh, also a writer at Broadway Sports Media. And one of the hosts of the Music City Audible podcast. Justin, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for jumping on kind of last minute. And then we also have Ryan Watson with us, who I've never done a podcast with before. So I'm excited about that. Um, you can find him, the Coach's Corner podcast, uh, also a part of Broadway Sports Media. You get that wherever you get your podcast. And he's also a part of the Flex podcast, uh, which is another Broadway Sports Media guy. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan on Broadway. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me tonight. This was uh, kind of a last minute, but fun and exciting. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So we can go just kind of with a little bit of Titans roundtable discussion, um, and we'll get into a few of the kind of hot topics that have emerged as training camp has started. The first of that, obviously, has been the Vic Beasley saga. You know, we didn't have much news when training camp first started other than guys were reporting, they're getting COVID testing, you know, know that they had to pass three tests and all that stuff where they could get in the building, get on the field. Um, but we had the week there. We weren't sure what was going on with Vic Beasley. He didn't show up. He eventually reported, um, apparently went through the COVID testing, but then when it got time to actually get on the field and for him to take his physical he did not pass that physical, so they moved him to the non-football injury list. There have been various reports out there on what that means, what if he has an injury, if he just wasn't in shape, if they're punishing him. I mean, it depends on who you read as, as to kind of what's going on there. So we won't, we won't delve too much into that because, honestly, we, just, we really don't know at this point. But my question for you, and I'll kick it to you first, Mello, how are you feeling about the prospects of Vic Beasley at this point? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like most people uh, in Tennessee, uh, expectations should, should probably be low um, as of now. I mean, uh, you know, the guy didn't show up for, for week, a week or longer than that. You know, it, it seems like they didn't really know where he was. Um, you know, was he thinking about opting out potentially? Again, we just don't know. Um, but you certainly worry with, you know, with a guy who, who came to Tennessee with a bit of a checkered past. And when I say checkered past, um, of course, I'm referring to, you know, the issues in Atlanta, you know, where there was always rumors about him having motivational issues, about him not being much of a work ethic guy. I mean, I said this on the Music City Audible a few weeks ago, but how many times do teams come out after the season and announce that they're not going to be re-signing a guy? Like with a formal written press you know, a written statement and everything. And that's what the Atlanta Falcons did at the end of the season, right? We are not going to be re-signing Vic Beasley. I mean, I thought it was the strangest thing at the time. It seemed like they really went out of, out of their way to kind of slander the guy, right? And there were a lot of questions. Wow, you know, that was shocking. And then you get here and you see the situation going on here. And, that, you know, it's just, it's obviously not off to a good start. You know, Mike uh, Herndon of uh, Broadway Sports Media and F-Words Pod I think he put it well in his article um, 
for Broadway Sports when he said, it seems like, you know, a guy who needed a fresh start, you know, that's why he came here, already needs another fresh start. Right, and I, I can't really think of a better way to put it. So, uh, again, obviously, you know, if Rick Beasley comes out this season and puts up 10 sacks, then all is forgiven and all is well. But right now, I would say um, expectations have to be pretty low. Ryan, anything to add to that? Yeah, I have to agree with all that. And what Mike said there was about the secondary uh, fresh start is very telling. But I, I choose to stay positive with this, I think, because I have to. It's This is the... As it stands right now with defense, this is what the this is what the staff chose to go out and target for their their additional edge pressure. This right, this is what they chose to bring in. And you look at his the pass with the Atlanta Falcons and that whole thing that Melo mentioned. It's all a checkered pass, but he he comes in. You hoping he's a change of scenery guy, right? Because you have to at this point. The talent's there. I mean, even last year, if you're saying he's unmotivated and he still got eight sacks last year, I mean, that would have ranked him, I think, second or close to second on the team for the Titans last year. So that's production that can come in and make a difference. Now, you would love to if he was closer to that 15 and a half, but it's looking, obviously, that's his outlier. But if he's willing to come here, which he has at least shown up, we have to get him through a couple more steps, but if he's at least willing to to go, then... I'm willing to give him a chance. And that's and we, we talked to on Coach Corner, uh, Tron Davenport here recently, and he was saying kind of the same thing, that his opinion was that they could do a lot of stunts with him and get him involved and kind of Titans have always been pretty good about creating pressure, and this is another tool that they can use. So that's how I'm looking at it. But I, I got to say, until it comes to fruition, until it actually happens, it, it's kind of uh, as positive as I've been. Those dark thoughts start to creep in, like, well, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't do this? And we're we're in the same, and the Titans are in the same hole they were last year with pass rush, which everyone knows needs to improve. So, interesting and uh, something definitely to keep tabs on to see how he develops and how he how motivated he is when he actually gets involved finally. Yeah, and the point you made there at the end, I think, is the best point because there was so much conversation going on around, well, what recourse do the Titans have here? You know, if he doesn't, blah blah blah. But ultimately. I mean, the Titans really have to have him at this point because the pass rush was the biggest issue with this defense last year. You don't have Jarrell Casey anymore. Um, you know, and so they, they've got to do something to address that issue. You think Jeffrey Simmons is going to be better. You, you think that you've got guys like Landry and Correa. I mean, you can kind of try to patch it together, so to speak. But without another guy in that rotation, a guy that can make a difference, you're, you're like you said, you're really in the same spot. And, you know, we... We're all sitting here waiting on Jadavion Clowney, right? But we've been sitting here waiting on him for, uh, you know, what, months now. Um, so we have no idea what's what's going on there. But the Titans have got to have that guy. They've got to get some type of production from him. And even if you get eight sacks, I mean, I mean that's a that's definitely a, a an added bonus to this defense and something that they desperately need. So I'm with you, Ryan. I mean, you got to just kind of wait and see what happens and hope that – through all of this, there's there's something that lights a fire under him because he is. I mean, he's on a one year deal. One-year he got deal. a bunch, He did get a good contract on Titans, you know, but it's going to be up to him if he wants to keep playing or not. He's going to have to show up and prove that he wants to do that this year. Um, if I right. say this, go ahead. Um, real quick, if if, if it's not going to happen now for him with a head coach like Mike Vrabel, someone who is proven time and time again so far over his his early tenure with the titans that's a leader of men and people are these these guys in that locker room are motivated to be around him they love playing for him if he can't catch that spark now then it's definitely never going to happen for him so this will be probably his last go around anywhere would be my would be my opinion on it 
Yeah, this is this is definitely it for him. And like I said, I mean, it's, it's one year deal here, here, and it we'll see if he can parlay that into something bigger next year. Um, all right. So another thing you brought up there, up there. leader of men with Mike Vrabel, right? right? That was the phrase that we heard, heard. you know, constantly when they hired him. Yeah. That was that was what they were looking for. That was kind of the selling point with Vrabel. Um, I would say through the first year and a half of Mike Vrabel as a head coach, it, it was a little bit up and down. Um, we saw some good things. We saw some bad things, specifically with the in-game decision stuff. So I'll kick this to you first, Ryan. How do you feel about Mike Vrabel as a head coach as we move into year three? So it's a mixed bag as far as how do I feel. It's How I feel is not mixed. It's it's I, I think that Mike Vrabel is the perfect personality. I think he's the perfect person to lead the Titans as the team stands right now and what they're wanting to do from a philosophy point of the ball. They want to be kind of this tough, um, punch-you-in-the-mouth team, but they also want to have fun within themselves and, and, and bring their lunch pail to work, right? So he's the perfect guy for all that. But if you break it down, like you touched on just a second ago, that there was some some rumblings about his decisions makings about uh, if he just played smarter, if he just called smarter game, then then they kicked a field goal instead of trying to fake and getting poor old uh, Brett Kern, um, Kern killed on some plays. You know, there, there's some stuff going on there. But what we don't want to lose though is that aggression because I think that serves him well and that's who he is, right? So you've got to. I think we put it uh, when. In Coach Corner, we had our, our discussion that we want him to find a way to be aggressive in a smart way. Like, listen to his analytics more. Listen to what works. Go with percentages in an aggressive, uh, the the aggressive side of the, the percentages, but still be aggressive. So I don't want to lose that, but I do want to say rein that in a little bit. And I think that as the more he sees these scenarios and he sees how he plays out, he'll, he'll, he'll get that experience. That's the thing you got to remember. This is, this isn't like he was a head coach three or four other places. I mean, he was position coach coordinator. So this is all relatively new to him as well. And if he's having this kind of success, I don't want to change too much because it's who he is, right? You don't ever want to ask someone to be someone who they're not because then they come off as fake and then they lose the team. If you lose the team, then no one's going to play for you, listen to you. So I love all that about him. I just hope at some point in time that he starts to not necessarily go all analytical because I don't think that's who he is, but maybe possibly listen to, to that little bird on your shoulder in, in maybe half and half situations or something like that. That's just the only thing I'm looking for. Mello? Yeah, I think that Mike Vrabel is, um, is really the perfect head coach for this franchise, and I don't think – I think that you know, they've kind of looked into him a little bit. You know, maybe we were a little jaded before his hiring because we had gone through so many bad coaches. Um, you know, before him, uh, uh, right? Like so many bad coaches. But, but I think that he's um, a perfect head coach for this team. I think the only thing that I would add to that that would be is interesting to me is we've already seen what it looks like if things aren't going well and how the fan base and media can kind of turn on him. Let's be honest, a lot of those bad decisions that he made, I think, came throughout the first six weeks of the season when they were two and four and, you know, didn't even resemble an NFL offense at that point. This was, of course, prior to the change at quarterback. And and I think you saw the desperation come out of him a little bit. I think a lot of those bad decisions were came out of frustration, came out of losing. And that's not an excuse because, you know, it doesn't make it OK. And, but you, you've seen what how his attitude sort of gets affected. 
or impacted by the losing. I mean, he, the, the media ripped him apart. He had that one quote, I don't know if you guys recall, where he came out and said, uh, I'm coaching to the detriment of my family, right? And the media just completely ran with that and tore him apart. But obviously things swung in the other direction once Ryan Tannehill took over as quarterback. But uh, I, I think Mike Rabel's an excellent coach, and I think he's going to be here for a very long time. But we've seen what it looks like when they're losing. Yeah, and listen, I'll raise my hand. I mean, I changed my Twitter handle to Fire Mike Vrabel for a little bit at the beginning of last year, and obviously that was a little bit, you know, a quick, a little quick jump there. But there were some decisions early in the season last year that were really, really bad. Um, I, I thought he settled in it as the year went on, uh, like you said. Once they made the quarterback switch, I think Arthur Smith, you know, got better, a lot better as the season went on. Uh, that was a little bit of a struggle in the beginning, but how much of that was the offense being held back? with Mariota in there, um, how much of it was Taylor Lewan not being there. I mean, there was a lot of stuff kind of at the beginning of last year that was in flux, and then they, they really seemed to hit their stride as the season went along. Um, Arthur Smith. There's no thing co- Yeah, sorry. No, you're good. There's no coach, there's no coach saying that says uh, winning cures all, and that's, that's definitely what happened to the Titans. They started winning the games, and what you saw is instead of them finding ways to lose games, they started finding ways to win games, and there was a there was just this cyclone of things that all happened at once. Lawan uh, catching chemistry, coming back, the Tannehill, uh, Derrick Henry getting rolling, because, I mean, everything kind of led to everything else helping each other, and I hate to say it's just one thing or another. Obviously, Tannehill coming in was the big spark. It helped light everything, but that so many other people had to contribute at that point and variable found this group. So it'd be interesting to me to see if things heaven forbid don't go well, what we get from variable again, I think that would be very telling. And I, and, and but I hope that he's learned from that first little spell that Mello mentioned and can, can learn from that and move forward quicker and, and stay more positive through that. Yeah. And one of the points you made Ryan um, about the analytics piece and all of that, I think you need a mix. I, I think you have got to have some gut out there because you know, you, you, you hear these guys, and especially when you get into, like, fantasy stuff and DFS, and it's all about the numbers, and you can't do this in this situation, that, that's ridiculous, or whatever. You want a guy that has a feel for the game and, and can make those decisions in-game. But you also want, you know, you pointed out the, the Brett Kern fake last year where you almost got him killed. The Titans were lucky that, you know, there was an early whistle on that play. Um, because if that play is officiated correctly, the Titans don't beat the Buccaneers, and we could be having a completely com- different conversation right now. Um, but they got the break there, and then things went on, and, and you know, obviously they did really well last year. So I, I'm really excited to see, you know, kind of the, the steps they take, the growth that they make. Now that they're a team that, you know, has has had success, how do they build on that? So I'm really excited about what what this brings. Um, Arthur Smith is obviously a, a point of conversation for all of us, and I had Evan Silva on a couple of weeks ago, and he he loves Arthur Smith. I mean, I mean, loves Ryan Tannehill and an Arthur Smith and offense. Um, I'll, I'll kick this one to you first, Mello. What did you see from Arthur Smith as the year went on last year, and what is it that gives you confidence in him as the offensive coordinator going forward? Yeah, for me, the thing that gives me confidence in him going forward, truthfully, is uh, is really the chemistry that he was able to build with Ryan Tannehill, right? Knowing that Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback for this team going forward, knowing that Derrick Henry is the running back for this team going forward, and seeing the success that Arthur Smith had with those guys last season, I mean, there's no reason to not be very confident in Arthur Smith. Um, In terms of at the beginning of the year, I think he's a guy who was, again, settling into a role, 
um, was probably being held back by a, you know, missing his start stud left tackle potentially, um, you know, for the first four weeks in the season, and also not getting, you know, good quarterback play out of Marcus Mariota. I mean, let's be honest, you know, you raised your hand up saying that, uh, you know, you changed your Twitter handle there to fire Mike Grable for a while. I think everyone there for a while thought Arthur Smith was the worst offensive coordinator in Titans history, and that's saying something. We've had, again, we've had a lot of bad offensive coordinators, but. And I was one of them. I said, geez, this guy, this guy's in way over his head. Right? Clearly was not the man for this job. But what a change, right? What a change down the stretch, as Ryan said. Ryan Tannehill was the spark. And, and, you know, Derrick Henry, again, starts playing better towards the end of the year. It's kind of been a trend throughout his career. You get Taylor Lewan back, and the O-line starts really clicking. You know, Nate Davis starts playing better. He comes in at right guard and really starts playing better as the year goes on. So uh, there's no reason to not have all the confidence in the world in Arthur Smith this season as the offensive coordinator, and it wouldn't shock me, unfortunately, um, if this is his last season as offensive coordinator. I do expect them, uh, if they do as well as they did last year, then Arthur Smith's head coach in 2022, or 2021, that is. Yeah, anything else on that, Ryan? Yeah, I was, I was actually going to lead with that. Is my one concern is is how quickly he's going to he's going to leave the team next year after another after one more successful year because I'd love to hold on to him throughout Ryan Tannehill's uh, tenure. But what I, what I'll say is something that's pretty because uh, I think it'll happen. I agree with you there, Mello. If, if he has another good year, teams are going to come hunting for him because the one thing that my problem since I've been watching the Titans and kind of analyzing some things is they tend to be be nice here, bland in the past so you you kind of three yards in a cloud of dust uh, play action off of this and they would only run uh two receivers out into a route and just uh, mariota let's be honest wasn't set up for success the whole time so it was, it's it's kind of tough for me to say that's all on mariota but he never took it upon himself to develop in my opinion art smith's kind of been a, fre- uh, a breath of fresh air with his creativity and how he's how he gets to plays and that's how it is, is it all could be the same play at the end but how he gets there has been been nice to see his motions his sets how he runs things out of just the simple putting a little extra spin on some of the zone plays and, and getting there a different way so those have been nice to see but one thing that uh not to bring this in but he did an interview with busting with the boys uh that i found pretty telling on him uh last year when he when he went into his rich uh family history with fedex and this is a guy that did not have to go the coaching route right he had a lot of connections you know his sister i think is in in hollywood as a film producer uh his dad's a, a big way with fedex he's this guy that could have done just about anything else what he did but he, he chose to this pain of a life that is coaching the stress of a life that is coaching which tells me he really loves it or he thinks he's really good at it, or he thinks he understands it. And I think just watching him so far, those two things I think are true. And I'm excited to see what happens in year number two when he knows he's got his guy coming in. He knows he clicked with Tannehill. He knows how to operate. He got confidence as they went along. He's got essentially the same offense back, save for the right tackle position, which we can probably talk about later. But everything's coming back. And this is this is going to be a positive for him, and it's one of those things where where now you're expecting some consistency and you're expecting some power, or some some um, uplift in your offense to to another level now that they've got AJ Brown and some some key pieces to this offense. So I'm really excited about year two for this coaching staff for this team, and and Art Smith is a big reason for that. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a perfect segue into the right tackle conversation, right? You, Ryan, you're our expert uh, offensive lineman here, um, breaking down all that stuff for us, and we're going to see a ton of that from you as this season progresses. Um, Isaiah Wilson, you know, first-round pick. You've got Dennis Kelly, who has proven to be a solid piece to this offense, right? I mean, he's a guy that they can plug in there. He knows the offense. He's not going to kill you. He may not be the best right tackle in the league, but he's a guy that's going to be solid. He's going to give you what you need. 
How much do you think it hurts Isaiah Wilson to not have an offseason like normal? You're not having OTAs and all that stuff that we normally would have seen in a non-COVID year. How much does it hurt him to not have that stuff? How quickly do you think he can get up to speed? And what's the tipping point for him being the starting right tackle in week one over Dennis Kelly? Uh, Isaiah Wilson, that's the apartment building in New Jersey, right? <laughs> yeah. That really, that really large human being. Sorry, bad yes. joke. No, absolutely. I, that's that's the most stunning thing for me so far is just watching him. That he is just this massive, broad individual who has no stomach. Like he's he's, he's he looks like he's got washboard abs. I mean, he's just a massive dude. But now that my joke's out of the way, to get to your question, <laughs> I think it's a it's a bigger deal for for younger guys to come in. Offensive line is a very integral thing where you have to learn not only your position, but you kind of have to learn what's going on around you. You have to learn the path of the running backs and be the most successful. We saw it with Nate Davis last year coming in and being able to try to play catch up, but he was in between two big veterans. So now my concern is that, yeah, that you've got Nate Davis going into year two, having to relay things out to a rookie. So my full expectation is that Dennis Kelly is going to grab the starting position, but to Dennis, Dennis Kelly's credit, he, the rumor is that he's been very accommodating, uh, very coach, like helping coach Isaiah Wilson up and, and, and working well with him in practice and, and building that relationship. That's going to go a far, a long way because I think that that's just how Dennis Kelly is, right? He wants the starting job, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to try to um, screw over Isaiah, right? So that's, that's the thing for me is that hopefully he can, compl- he can play catch up a little bit, learn some things, learn some lingo, kind of cut some corners by talking in the, in that meeting room. Because if you, if you watch on the tape uh, for Isaiah Wilson, he does a few things very well. That's a road grader. He's a, he's a good ru- uh, run blocking tackle. He's not terrible in pass blocking either, but it's going to be a different world coming from the college level. So the main thing I want to see is not necessarily the knowledge. I think that'll take care of itself. He seems very bright. He seems that he can understand, but it's just getting the reps for the difference in the speed. Luckily, you know, luckily for him, he played in the SEC, which is one of the better college um, conferences out there as far as seeing talent, but it's going to be a whole different world when you see those top tier guys week in and week out that are sometimes on the second string of those defenses you're having to go against. So just seeing the speed of the game and seeing how he picks that up, obviously he's going to need to rep that. So that's, that's the the only reason why I think that Kelly will be the starter first, but with with Isaiah Wilson hot on his heels to to take in uh, after maybe the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and Mello, I know you're a you're a big draft guy, big tape guy. W- what is it that, that you think Isaiah Wilson? What's the biggest jump he needs to make to be ready to be a starting right tackle in the NFL? NFL. It, it's funny you ask me that because um, I, I thought he was a little inconsistent in pass protection. Um, I was going to bring up the the draft stuff. You know, I'm a draft nerd. So every year, um, as I put out my big board, you know, usually, you know, scouting and ranking about 300 players. Um, and as you know, I interview a lot of players, right? So last year I, I did about 140 of those interviews and he was one of them um, leading up to the draft. And every year I have about a handful of players that I end up bumping them up my draft board after interviewing them. And I probably shouldn't do that, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, and teams, you know, they evaluate personality almost as much as they evaluate, you know, uh, athletic traits and, and skill sets. So he's one of those guys where, after, you know, I, I went into the interview. It was still early on in my process. I thought the tape was a little muddy. I didn't have a super high grade on him. And then after the interview, I said, damn it, I love this kid. You know, I don't want to bump him up my board, but I have to because he was just such a fun, loving, you know, just, just a great, terrific personality on him. Super polite, 
almost super innocent in a way. You, you almost couldn't believe you were talking to this guy that was, you know, 360 pounds or whatever he was at the time. So j- just a really, really good person. And I think it's a perfect fit in Tennessee. I, one of those, tra- again, you know, to answer your question completely, one of those traits, I, I do think he's a little inconsistent in pass protection. I agree with Ryan that um, he, he's, a, he's a road blocker in the run game. He's a mauler. But I think, you know, you worry about the foot speed, I think, more than anything, especially, um, you know, with, with guys threatening off the edge at the NFL level. Um, and to answer, you know, the first part of your question that you posed to Ryan there, um, I, you know, I think obvi- it doesn't hurt his long-term outlook. But certainly, of course, this offseason and, and no preseason games and, and, and COVID-19 has certainly impacted him in the short term. I'd be absolutely shocked if Dennis Kelly isn't the week one starter. I would be, unless Dennis Kelly gets hurt, between now and then, I would be absolutely mind blown um, if Isaiah Wilson it, it starts at right tackle on, on opening day. Okay, and then one thing to kick back to you really quickly, kind of compare and contrast what you saw in Isaiah Wilson's college tape versus Jack Conklin's college tape because I think the biggest knock on him was the foot speed, the pass protection, that type of stuff. How does Isaiah Wilson compare coming out to what Jack Conklin was? See, it's it's very funny you say that. Cause you're right; it's very similar, right? I remember when the Titans drafted Conklin, um, where they did really the first concern was, oh man, I mean they're taking this guy early. The foot speed is not fast enough for them to draft this guy, uh, where they did. So, I mean, for Isaiah Wilson, look, I thought he came, you know, he came to Georgia as a five-star prospect, right? As a highly ranked guy, came out of Brooklyn, and and I think the big thing for him, and one of those things Tennessee probably enjoyed seeing and made them feel comfortable taking him where they did, is his technique got significantly better in 2019. Not only in 2019, but it got significantly better as the 2019 season went on. So I, I think that's a very promising sign that the arrow was very much pointing up for him. Look, he's raw. He needs some polish. Uh, you know, you watch the tape against LSU. It wasn't great. He had a rough time against LSU. It was probably his worst game of the season. But, yeah. again, I, I think um, foot speed-wise was, was one of my bigger concerns. But, again, uh, with the arrow, the arrow pointing up for him big time. I, he got significantly better as 2019 went on. He's still a young guy. You know, I, I interviewed after the draft um, his position coach, which was legendary, uh, you know, Coach Pittman, 30 years coaching offensive lineman, um, and, and was doing it at Georgia for 2019. He since left Georgia, but uh, he was Isaiah Wilson's position coach. And I remember talking to him about this. And he said, look, when he came here, and we, we had so many good tackles, we, we couldn't even really get him on the field. A, you know, he's behind guys like Isaiah Wynn, you know, who ends up being a first-rounder um, in New England. And, uh, you know, he goes, we, we couldn't get him on the field, not just because of that, but, you know, conditioning-wise, he didn't know how to get into his stance. There was all kind of things we had to work uh, on with him. But just the way he progressed over the years, and, again, the progression that he really showed towards the end of the season, this is a guy that uh, the arrow is very much pointing up for him. And, Ryan, kicking it to you just real quick. I mean, again, I'm deeming you our Broadway sports offensive lineman expert. Um, kind of the same question for you. For you. As far as – so when I look at – I went specifically to watch a ton of his draft. This is a guy that and everything I read was that he needed another year, right, and that he was going to be – if he goes back another year, he might be a top ten pick, just to kind of echo what Melo is saying there is that the arrow is trending up. I like that term. But he needed some more work. So you look at this is that people were upset that they took him, that the Titans took him early, right? In my mind, I just I just pretend like they took Fulton first and it took Wilson second and then i think that's a perfect spot for him this year but i really what i like about him uh is the 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 aggressiveness and with with the difference between him and conklin is they had a lot of the same attributes coming out 
However, I think that the ceiling on Isaiah Wilson's athleticism is a little higher than Conklin's. So if he can figure it out, I think that's where you're going to see the big difference. So I think that if he can learn the technique and continue to improve, you're going to see a massive improvement for him in his pass blocking. Which And why I say I don't think he was that bad is because his base is good. He stays back. He's, he, you always want to see getting hands on a guy and not overextending. And that's what happens a lot of these road graders. They want to get aggressive. They want to fire off into a guy as they're, as they're rushing them from the outside. He stays back really well. And what gets him in pro- trouble, I think, is he starts thinking and then his feet stop. However, and that's what you saw in that LSU game. So, however, but that's something that you can work through. And I think that's what's telling for me with Dennis Kelly working on stuff, giving them the tips after a bad play and all these reps he's going to get. He's just going to continue to get better. And he's a guy that I'm really looking forward to his year next year and just hoping if you get any contribution out of him this year that's positive, I think that's a win. Because you've got Dennis Kelly that can kind of sit there, and we know who Dennis Kelly is. He's going to get the job done. He's not going to be super flashy about it, but he's going to get it done, and he's been in the system, and he knows it. Uh, so I don't think the right tackle is as big of a um, hole or question mark, as people would say, because I think the Titans are going to be just fine. And hopefully Nate Davis continue to continue to improve like he showed towards the end of the season last year with his with – his, um, improved grades over that time. But Isaiah Wilson, I think that we compared, if you're just comparing him to what you lost into Jack Conklin, I don't think you can do that right now. I think you have to look at what you have between the two tackles you have right now when you're losing Conklin and kind of be excited about what the future holds for that, that spot. Okay. And perfect segue there. Um, because my biggest issue with them taking a tackle in the first round was the huge hole that you had at corner. And so they, I mean, in my mind, they got lucky with Fulton falling to them in the second round. So, Melo, to you, what do you see from Christian Fulton that gives you hope or encouragement, whatever, that, you, you know, that he's a guy that they could have taken in the first round. He's a guy that's going to be able to step in and play, whether it's outside nickel. We don't really know how they're going to work that out at this point. But what, what have you seen from him? That, that gives you confidence that he's the guy that can step in and fill that role from day one. From day one. Well, one of the first things I saw out of Fulton was, you know, uh, go to the measurements first. Six foot, 197, uh, 4.46, 40-yard dash, 35-and-a-half-inch vertical, 123-inch broad, uh, 6.94 in the three-cone. So, um, you know, I thought he was electric at the combine, electric with his testing. Then you turn the tape on, and I thought he did his best work in press. You know, and he said, uh, he's another guy that I interviewed, you know, leading up to the draft. And he said that to me and, and you know how much LSU loves to play press. And I thought he did great work in that it's, you know, it was his patience. It was how balanced he was. And, and he really made the receivers uh, life difficult, you know, this past year, you know, he does well, he leverages routes. He understands how to manipulate his man. Um, and, and he's an alpha when he's attacking the ball, he, he, go, he gets after it, you know, and he's aggressive. Uh, you know, he understands how to drive forward great and click, you know, great click and close guy. Um, just, just a really terrific player who's very calm, cool, and collected. And you know, he doesn't panic, right? As I'm saying, um, you know, obviously he had the issue with the 2017, um, but I think he's passed. You know, with the drug test that is, but I, you know, tampering. I think he's passed that. Um, I think he owned. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, going into the interview with him, and it, it might this might make me sound like a bit of a soft journalist, but I was very torn on whether or not I was going to bring it up. And I said, you know what? It's you know, it, it, it's it, it's well in the past now. I kind of just want to talk about what he did this past season. Obviously, LSU's terrific accomplishments this past year. Um, and credit to him, he brought it up to me. And, and that really shocked me because I had actually decided that I was not going to bring it up. Just didn't think I could add anything really to it that, that hadn't already been covered. 
But when I asked him um, simply what kind of impression he thought he left at the Combine, um, it was like the first thing he said to me, and it, it's in my interview there now. And he just said, hey, you know, the issue that I had in 2017, I wanted to bring that up, and I wanted to discuss it with teams. I wanted to get in front of it, and I wanted to explain, you know, my side and, and obviously show my remorse um, and how much I regretted that. So uh, what, what I see in him is a guy, you know, and, and I interviewed after the draft as well, um, LSU uh, cornerback coach, Coach Corey Raymond who's a terrific position coach there at LSU and has coached so many good defensive backs there over the past couple of seasons alone. And, um, you know, he told me that they watch a lot of tape on NFL players, on NFL defenses, sorry, that is. And he's at, that he's extremely familiar with the Titans defense. And he thought that Christian Fulton was the perfect pairing um, in this defense. And one interesting tidbit, because, you know, you talk about him occupying the nickel position that Logan Ryan obviously uh, left vacated. Um, I, I asked Coach Freeman about that, and he said, if, you know, if he wasn't suspended for that season, he was going to play a full-time role in the nickel spot for us that year. We had a couple good outside corners, guys that were older than him um, that were still in school, and, and Fulton was going to play full-time nickel for us. It, it didn't really happen this past season because now he's one of our older players. He's one of our better players. We needed him there on the outside. But LSU had absolutely zero reservations about his ability to operate in the nickel. And, you know, we recently had him um, on tape with the Titan over at Broadway Sports. So if you haven't checked that out, uh, make sure that you do. And, and uh, we asked him, you know, how much of the nickel do you expect to play? And I thought his, you know, his answer was pretty interesting and possibly telling, perhaps, that the coaching staff has been quite honest with him because he, he looked at us and he said, yeah, quite a bit. So I, I definitely expect Fulton to, to really occupy that nickel spot this year. Anything to add there on Fulton? Right? Fulton, man. Uh, only that we, we when we uh, interviewed uh, Teron, again, just pull back to that, we asked him about the secondary as well because he said that as a former uh, college receiver, one thing he pays attention to is receiver routes and then coverages. So we just asked him about that same kind of feeling. It's, do you think you're going to see Fulton along the nickel? Do you think it's going to be Butler depending on? He said, I think it's going to be, I forget his exact terms, but he's a hodgepodge or a, a melting pot, if you will, of, of players. You're just going to have to, to figure out getting the job done. I know that uh, Jonathan uh, on our same podcast had pointed out that he would really like to see Fulton learn kind of one position and stick with it. But I think for the team, because you've got more versatility this year in the secondary with, with who you've got, and it's easy to say that he is going to be one for one replacing Logan Ryan, right? Well, they're, that's not fair because they're not the same type of player. So I don't think the expectation for that, but I think that your expectation for him is that he's going to contribute in his way wherever they line him up. I expect it to be nickel as well, but wouldn't be shocked if they roll some other people through there based on how they can line up against certain receivers that they're going up against a team that has a bigger uh, threat in the slot, say it's tied in that kind of H-back kind of uh, flexed out, those kind of things. Maybe you see Malcolm Butler, who is a physical presence. It, it, it could be a lot of different things there, but I'm excited about Fulton. I'm glad that he fell that he did and they got him because he's, he's a he's a talented kid that's really going to make a difference long-term in the secondary, which this secondary is always really good. Already, excuse me, already really, really good. And that was one of the things that we talked about with Ron as well is that he, he hates that the nation sleeps on them or, or underestimates them because they've already got the best safety and they've got the best collection of talent that he's seen all together from the corners into the safeties. All right, and jumping back to Nate Davis for a minute, Ryan, what did you see on him as far as his progress during the 2019 season? So growing pains, right? He he had a he had a stance thing to work through. We talked with his his college football coach uh, Chris Selfo about that here recently. That that will be releasing on Wednesday of uh, this week. Uh, help me with the date, nineteenth. Uh, 
So we'll be releasing that. And he, he gets into that about how he noticed that over the, over the year he got his rear end up and he was able to, to fire out and be a little more versatile from that position and, and be more of a football player. So the one thing I saw about his development is he is an he's a good mix of athleticism and strength. As, and that's, that's almost perfect for your right guard. We asked Coach Selfa if we thought that he was a good fit for the zone scheme that the Titans love to rely on and love to run. He said that he could run anything. This guy, this is a kid that he worked with, and really they improved from his his junior year going into a senior year, and he saw the improvement. It's again, I think this is another one like like Justin said about uh, Isaiah Wilson. This is an arrow trending up guy. He's and then he his best football of the season was that I think from week 14, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but week 14 or 15 on, he went from grading out in the 30s or 40s to grading, grading out around the 80s. And that's that's huge. And you saw that 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 uptick. And I just don't know if it just finally clicked for him. He got into his groove. But you stopped seeing some of those. Like you, you watched some of the highlights, and it was always if one, one offensive lineman was the one who didn't get his block. More often than times than not, it was Nate. But you saw him more getting his block towards the end of the season and getting to his spots and, and, and his aiming points. And that's what you look for as a guard when they're when they're trying to work that zone are they getting to their spots are they cutting off their man or are they getting beat over the top and they're in their guys able to trip up Derrick Henry for a three-yard gain instead of what could have been a 12-15 or another house call so it's those little things I look for him to continue as he goes into year two obviously he's having to replace the the person to his right that's going to be a whole new whole new experience for him and that's the only thing I'm kind of looking for because I think that he started to figure out his technique and he started to figure out because his problem was he'd get to contact and then his feet would stop moving. Like I said, when you have an aggressive road grader or you have someone who's who's super aggressive and trying to get to a point, they want to try to lean in and hit and then their feet stop. Well, in NFL, you can't do that. It works in college a little bit. You can kind of get in, you can get away with some of that um, a little bit. It, 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 but here in NFL, you have to keep your feet moving and keep going. And, and, and like Ben Jones, you just have to get in front of the guy sometimes. But if you keep your feet moving... Uh, more times than not, you can turn a guy to where they're not going to contribute to stopping a play. And if Nate can continue to work on that, he's going to be just fine. Anything else on Davis there, Mello? Uh, no, I think Ryan you know, pretty much covered it. The only thing I'll add on Davis is that uh, extremely impressed with his ability um, you know, to come in the way he did. You know, Being a third-round pick out of the University of Charlotte, um, you know, I personally didn't have very high expectations for a rookie campaign. It's a big jump for a, a you know a, a mid day two pick lineman you know from a school like Charlotte coming into the NFL. I mean you can't I, you can't even really begin to explain how big of a jump in talent that is. And for a guy who obviously was raw coming out, um, you know on top of it with his stance and you know the, the whole frogman stance that everyone <laughs> jokes about. Uh, for him to be able to come in the way he did, take over midway through the year because or whatever, whatever I can't remember what week it was, but they were getting really bad play right from the right guard position before he came in. So for him to come in the way he did, and yes, he struggled in the beginning, but for him to show the growth that he showed throughout the year, um, this offensive line was dominating by the end of the season, right? I talked about that um, with multiple uh, you know, members of this O-line. They were just dominating by the end of the season. You end up getting your running back, you know, he wins the rushing title, right, in week 17, and then they dominate New England in the playoffs, and they dominate Baltimore in the playoffs. In the trenches, not just on the score sheet, but I mean in the trenches. They won those games in the trenches. So for Nate Davis to do what he did, I think it was just phenomenal. Certainly exceeded my expectations for his rookie campaign. Really, you know, uh, admirable the job that he did. And I'm very, very excited to watch Nate Davis, um, you know, as a second-year pro. For sure. 
Yeah. Okay. And then last thing before we get out of here, here. Um, um, what's the biggest question? And Mel, I'll give you this first. What's the biggest question you have about the 2020 Titans for them to make that, you know, obviously the consistency to get back to the AFC championship. But if we're talking about a team that is going to, you know, challenge for a Super Bowl title, what's the biggest question that you still have about the 2020 Titans? Yeah, I think this goes back to the first topic of the night. Uh, I think it's going to be pass rush for me. Um, and, you know, there are times when you, you watch them lose that game to Kansas City where they just, you know, and of course the AFC Championship game, I mean, they just didn't do enough to get to Patrick Mahomes and they didn't do enough to ruffle his feathers. There was He's way too good to, to allow him to have that much time back there. And, yes, I single out Patrick Mahomes because, let's be honest, the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC is more than likely going to go through Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City for the next several years. So you really have to focus on, you know, partially how can you beat that team? And I think they have to do a better job getting pressure on him um, than they did last year. So did they do enough? Nick Beasley, you know, as we've covered, who knows? You know, does Harold Landry take another step forward? What about the supporting cast, right? Is, you know, can Kamalai Correa continue his you know the, he, he finished the season very strong last year can he continue in that direction because i thought he played his best football as a titan um in the playoffs you know do you get more out of Derek roberson who really didn't start playing until week 16 but had three sacks you know in two games and really showed some excellent burst um you know off the line of scrimmage do you get anything out of deandre walker you know i know he's fine you know of course, he was a day three pick a year ago, but he's healthy now. And I think he has a chance to make this roster, especially with uh, Reggie Gilbert recently being released. So out of that group, you know, does Hill Landry take a step forward? What do you get out of Vic Beasley? Can Kamalai Correa continue playing the best football of his life? Does Derek Roberson uh, do more uh, and take that step forward? Does DeAndre Walker contribute in any way? Does this pass rush have enough juice to affect the elite quarterbacks that they will have to defeat in the playoffs if they are to reach the Super Bowl? All right, Ryan, same question to you. So that's a good one. Pass rush was actually my one of my main ones from a positional standpoint. But mine is just going to be the attitude of this team. Get too far in the past, they have always seemed to play – you get into the games where they'll play up to their competition or they'll play down to their competition. And it was a little guilty of that last year at times as well. So I'm thinking that I want to watch and see them continue to continue their, continuing their offensive consistency, their, their team mind frame consistency over from one year to the next, that groove they got in towards the end of the year. Obviously the, the, the playoffs are the, the stopping point, right? You want to, as Mel pointed out, you want to get through the chiefs. You want to get to the, not only get there to that AFC championship game, but get through the chiefs and get onto the Super Bowl. Why else are you coaching? Why else are you spending all this time uh, working out and learning these plays if your end goal is not the Super Bowl? So everything has to be towards that. So at some point in time, you got to think that, yes, improved pass rush is going to be great. Improved coverage is going to be great. But what I'm thinking is, is that you're playing the Chiefs. You're going to have to play a little bit of keep up with the Joneses on offense, right? Because you're not going to stop the Chiefs for an entire game. It's just not possible. You, you want to employ kind of a bend but don't break and don't let the dam just overflow of water onto the, onto the scoreboard. And you want to cut those runs off. One way to do that is obviously through the defense, because that's what they're going against. But another way to keep that pressure up and to keep up is to, well, keep up with them on offense and keep the, the, the drives going, keep them off the field. So I'm looking for that. Cause I think that's where the, the AFC championship game went wrong for the Titans is they got into a rut and they, the Chiefs started stopping, started to stop the running game. And they just couldn't get anything else going because now our game plan 
So I'm hoping in year two for a lot of these guys, for Arthur Smith and for, for this team, this offense as a whole, they find a way to keep that consistency from last year that they found, keep it into this year, and really find ways to keep up in games like that and win those offensive shootouts, even though that's not the team they're really built to be, if they have to. And that's going to be a key because you're going to have those games. And if it's and if that game, that type of game, that shootout's going to happen in your big one, got to find a way to win it. And that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great point because, you know, the first half of that Chiefs game, I mean, Titans are in it, the Titans are winning. And then you have that Mahomes run right there at the end of the first half. Um, and then it kind of changes the way that game's being played. And can the Titans answer that? You know, that, that uh, for me, that's the biggest question the biggest is, question is, is, you know, the, the defense, you got to be able to have a pass rush. All that stuff is true. But like you said, you're not going to hold the Chiefs down for an entire game. You're going to have to be able to score with a team like that. And so can they take that jump? Can their offense, if you get in the second half and you're down by two scores, can they throw it around enough to keep pace in a game like that? I think that's going to be the biggest thing as we look at them taking that next step is can they do that? So it's going to be really fun to watch. I mean, I I can't remember uh, the last time I was this excited about a Titans team when the season started. I mean, I I think all of us, I mean, all three of us have been Titans fans for a long time. And you find ways to talk yourself into being excited about a season, you know, even even in years where, you know, deep down in your heart, you know, they're not going to be very good. But you're like, well, if this goes right and that goes right and we, we get this guy to step up, we, we can get to the next level. I don't think you have as many of those like really, you know, hoping against hope that this guy can do this and, and they can get there. You don't have to have as many leaps of faith this year with this team. But can they take that next step? And is the offense going to be consistently good enough? Is Ryan Tannehill consistently good enough to get over the hump against a team like the Chiefs? I mean, I think that's going to be the difference in whether or not this team is legitimately a Super Bowl contender or not. So I'm really excited for this year and really excited for what this team, you, you know, is going to show. I, I'm I'm sad that we don't get to see them in the preseason um, because you just you're you're not going to know anything going into week one as far as changes and that kind of stuff. But I think that could play into the Titans' hand a little bit with the amount of people they're bringing back, especially on offense, uh, you know, all the stuff we've already talked about. So I'm really excited. Guys, I really appreciate you jumping on again. This is something that we kind of pulled together about 10 minutes before we were supposed to record this podcast. So I I really appreciate both of you all jumping on. Uh, Ryan, you've got, like I said, Coach's Corner. Um, What do you have coming up this week? Anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, like I said, we've got the uh, the great interview with uh, Coach Chris Selfo coming up. Uh, it'll be released on Wednesday. We talked to him late last week. He's just a wealth of knowledge, and, and I didn't uh, – going through and talking with him about all his stops and, and everything, I could have talked to him for another two hours. So it was real fun. Uh, as I said, Super Owen helped me out with that one, so that's, that's going to be a fun one to look forward to. And as always, on the Flex, we have a good time. We talk about fantasy content, and you can look for that. We always record them, and we release them on YouTube the very same day we're releasing the podcast. So go run over to our Broadway Sports Media YouTube page and check that out as well. Yeah, and if you're not watching the YouTube show, you need to be doing that because the the content there is fantastic. Uh, Justin Graver does a great job with that as well as the guys that are obviously, you know, talking on the show as well. Mello, what do y'all have coming up? Music City Audible. Yeah, a couple more interviews with Titans players in the the coming weeks on the Music City Audible, uh, but more so than anything, you know, tape with the Titan. Um, you know, it, Justin Graver and I, it's our brainchild. We, we've brought this thing to fruition and, and we're absolutely um, in love with the product that we've been able to come up with. So, and we have some huge episodes coming up in the next few weeks. We have one this week 
um, that I would say is the best work I've ever done in my career. And, and, and Graver um, agreed for his career. So really excited to release that episode this week. Um, look, look forward to that. I, I'm going to say it. I hate to say it, but it is definitely the best episode that we've done um, of Tape with the Titans. So look for that this week because uh, I think you're going to be really surprised with not only who we had on, but, um, you know, how deep, um, you know, th- this episode really runs. And that's saying a lot because, you know, at this point you've had, what, Khalif Raymond, Christian Fulton, Anthony Ferkser, I mean, guys that have made, you know, really big contributions, especially in big moments for this team. So obviously be sure and check that out. And again, broadwaysportsmedia.com is where you can find all of that content. Sign up. I promise you won't be disappointed. We have a ton of good content. Um, obviously, you know, Titan, the Titans are our bread and butter right now, but there's a lot of good Predator stuff, uh, Nashville SC as well. So check that out. Again, uh, thanks so much for joining me. Ryan Watson, he is at Ryan on Broadway on Twitter. Uh, Justin Mello at Justin underscore NFL. Um, two guys that are, that are really good, and that you, I promise you will not be disappointed if you follow. So for Ryan and Justin, I'm Jimmy Morris at jmorrismcm on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Home Run Throwback, and we will be back next week with another episode. Brought to you by Broadway Sports Media.